chapter 4. George, thank you. Uh, May I say this too, just on behalf of Becky and me, we are thrilled to be able to be here with you and to be able to uh, engage with you today. And I want to do say, I really want to say thank you to you as a church family for your partnership with us within the EFCA. It's a joy to be able to partner with you, and uh, George and I get to connect often through pastor's gatherings and being on the Trinity board together, and to hear what God's doing here is extremely uh, encouraging to us. So thank you for that warm welcome. I want to take a moment and pray, though, because honestly, um, what I say will make only eternal difference in people's lives if the Spirit of God works among us, right, and takes his word. So let's pause and look to him. Lord, I thank you now that we can come before you knowing that your word is true and that it is your word that we desperately need. There's all kinds of messages around us. We want the truth from you today. Your word is true and your Holy Spirit is our teacher. Would you teach us not just information, but life change as you work in us in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I grew up a town kind of kid. In fact, it was, as George said, in Minnesota, in far northern Minnesota. You know, we used to say in my hometown, we have 10 months of winter and two months of bad sledding. And it was kind of like what life was like. Uh, But but I grew up a town kind of kid, not a large city, but a town. My summers were filled with riding bike around town, playing tennis and baseball with my buddies. I had a paper out. I delivered papers, make a little extra money. In the wintertime, we played ice hockey outdoors, and I used to pray for snow because my my parents and my dad had a couple of snowmobiles, and we would ride snowmobile in the wintertime. It was delightful. I was very involved in my EFCA church in my hometown, and and that was a center of a lot of life for me, but I was kind of of a town kind of kid, except for one summer. You see, one summer when I was a boy, my parents sold a home, and they bought another home, and there were two months before they could close escrow and move into their new house. And so they try to figure, what are we going to do? Where are we going to live? And my grandparents, my mother's parents, had a farm. And my grandfather said, you know, we have this little old house on our property, and nobody's living in it right now. Why don't you come and spend the summer with us? And for a boy, there was nothing better. I chased chickens in the yard and cats I helped my grandfather unpile his turkeys in the midst of thunder and lightning storms when they would all rush to one end of his barn and pile on top of each other. I chased calves in the pasture, rode with my grandfather on the tractor. I mean, it was, it was a, a life of a dream for a town kid. I felt like quite a farm kid that summer. And you know what I learned from my grandfather? I learned a lot about dirt I learned that on his little farm, there was some heavy clay soil that was really hard to till. And I learned that there were some places on his farm where the soil was sandy. And when a, in a drier year, he had a hard time getting a crop. And I learned that some of his land was lowland, and when there was too much rain, it would flood, and the crops would be flooded out. 
I learned that every time a farmer puts seed in the ground, he takes a risk because you don't know exactly the crop that's going to be grown and a lot of the variable is the dirt. It's sort of like a story Jesus told in Mark chapter 4. And I want to take, ask you to take your Bibles and turn with me to the Gospel of Mark. And I know there are Bibles in the racks in front of you if you want to take that out and just to be able to help us think this through. But Mark chapter 4, we start in verse 1. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. And he taught them many things by parables. I want to stop there for a moment. Set the scene for you, can I? Beautiful north side of this lake called Galilee. The crowds were coming. They were pressing in on him. He'd been, he'd been teaching and doing miraculous things. And the crowds were pressing in so much that, that there wasn't even a place for him to teach them. And, and, and so in some places along the Sea of Galilee, the way between the water and the hillsides, they almost form natural amphitheaters. And, and I can see this where Jesus gets into a boat and they push this small boat a little ways out onto the water. And it became like his own auditorium and amphitheater. If you've ever been by a lake at nights. You know, you can hear what's going on on the other side of a small lake like they're standing right next to you because the water just amplifies it. So Jesus is in a boat, and he's teaching. And this is what he says. Verse 3. Listen. A farmer went out to sow his seed, and as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil, It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no roots. Another seed fell among thorns which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times. And then Jesus said, whoever has ears to hear... Let them hear. Now, Jesus is teaching in what's called parables, and and parables really are, are in a sense, proverbial sayings, kind of analogies that were little stories taken from everyday life that had a very significant spiritual message that he wanted to teach. And so he began by telling them some parables. And these were often common things that people would regularly understand and see, but they had a message that was deeper and required some some deep thoughts. You see, this particular parable would have been one they would have been very familiar with because unlike today, where farmers have tractors that operate on GPS and when they plant their crops, they know they're not overlapping one bit and wasting one seed. Back in that day, they scattered seed by hand. And this farmer would have had either a bag of seed around his waist or he would have been carrying a basket of seed, just walking around his field, scattering it, just broadcasting it by hand, kind of like what I've done when I've needed to fill in some dead spots in my lawn. And he would walk and scatter it throughout his entire field, and then when he was done, he would take and and plow it a little bit so that it would be worked into the soil so that then it could grow. 
Well, in this particular parable, you see that this farmer, like my grandfather, had different types of soil on his farm. Unlike today, where fields are often laid out very clearly, the demarcations of roads and fences and things around them, in that day, people just walked where they wanted to walk, and often pathways would be right through the middle of someone's field. Well, maybe kind of like your yard is, if when you, either when you grew up or if you had children, and your sidewalk was beautifully designed to look nice, but the shortest way to the car was across the grass. That was kind of like this. They went the shortest way to get places. And so in the fields, there would be these pathways, and he'd scatter the seed, and some of it, just by the wind blowing, it would inevitably fall on that pathway, and, and, and birds would come and would snatch the seed and be gone. And there'd be no opportunity for it to even germinate. And, and some of the seed fell on shallow soil, it says, and, and in that part of, of, of Israel, there's some area where there's shale rock underneath a very thin layer of dirt. Uh, you wouldn't be able to tell clearly where the rock is, and so as they would, he would cast the seed, he wouldn't know. But in that area where there's rainy season and dry season, in the rainy season, the water would pool right on top of that rock, and the seed would come, and it would have enough moisture, and it would germinate. But as soon as the hot sun came in the dry season, it would just shrivel it up and die. And, and other seed fell where there were thorns and weeds. Now, you know what weeds do. They take all the moisture and nutrients out of the soil, so a good plant might grow some but not produce any crop, and that's exactly what happened here. It's like the plant grew, but no fruits, but some. And this would have made the people in the audience smile because they know that they would have known this part of Galilee was known for great crops. Some fell on really good dirt, really good soil, and it produced an incredible crop. Multiple times of what was sown. And Jesus starts this little parable by saying, listen, pay attention. And if you have ears to hear, then hear. Well, Jesus' disciples were with him later. And they started asking him about these parables. And if you come with me down to verse 10, you'll see the story goes on. And when he was alone, the 12 and the others around him asked him about the parables. And he told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to those on the outside, everything is said in parables, so that they may be ever seeing, but never perceiving, and ever hearing, but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. Now, now I need to tell you, this is a challenging little passage here. Because it almost appears as, as you look at this, that Jesus is saying, I'm telling these stories to keep people from faith. And then he starts out by talking about a secret. Do you see that? In verse 11, the secret of the kingdom has been given to you. Now, the word secret there, it, it literally, in the original text, is the word we get our word mystery from. And, and it's not something that was incomprehensible or unknowable. What it, what it meant, this is something, it was a deep spiritual eternal truth that had been unknown, and God was now making it known. And it's like Jesus was saying, these things of the kingdom I'm making known to you. 
And then he quotes something from Isaiah chapter 6. And if you remember the story in Isaiah chapter 6 in the Old Testament, Isaiah has this incredible experience. He's in, literally he is in the very throne room of God. And the train of the, of the robe fills the temple. And there's smoke and there's heavenly beings singing. And there's an earthquake. And Isaiah says, I'm as good as dead. I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And, and God sends an angel to the altar with a set of tongs to take a, a live coal, and he touches Isaiah's lips, in, in a sense, symbolically, to say, I'm cleansing you. And, and then God asks this question, who's going to go for us, and who can I send? And Isaiah says, I'll go, send me. And then God says, exactly what Jesus quotes here. You're going to go and they won't listen. You're going to preach and they won't understand because their hearts are hard. And you see, what Jesus does with these parables is Jesus uses parables to separate the curious from the serious. Those crowds of people who just came to see, wow, there's a big crowd here and Jesus is healing people and maybe he'll give us free lunch again. And they came. Some were just curious. And some were serious and followed him. The whole theme of this series is to listen and follow. And Jesus uses parables to separate those who are simply curious from those who are serious he also uses these parables. They're not just homespun little stories for sluggish minds or people that don't want to work hard. These parables require thoughts and investigation. And it's out of these parables that revealed the state of the hearts of the listeners. It's when Jesus told these stories, it's like it became obvious who was interested and who was not. It's, it, it is though when he spoke from these parables, it forced people to a point of action. It either drove people away from him or it drew people toward him. And this challenges his message and, and, and this message of who Jesus is. It draws some toward him and some they walk away. Jesus said it's not easy. But then he goes on to give us an interpretation after he shares that little challenge. And look with me at verse 13 because he tells them what it means, the parable. And then Jesus said to them, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. And others, like seed sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seed sown among thorns, hear the word. But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. But others, like seed sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, 
and produce a crop, some 30, some 60, some 100 times of what was sown. Now when you read that, some people are asking, so what's really important out of this little story? Is it the farmer? And trying to figure out who the farmer is. The farmer is important, but I don't think he's the main focus of the story. Some would say, well, it's the seed. Of course, the seed is the main focus of the story. And, And Jesus describes for us what the seed is. It's the word. It's the word of the gospel. It's, the, it's his word that he's given us that, that is encapsulated in the scriptures that we read and study and that God has so graciously entrusted to us. The seed is really important, but, but I don't think that is the ultimate focus of this little story. The focus of the story is rather on the four different types of soil because the four different types of soil represent four different types of people. Uh, The first of those that we see are are those with hard hearts who turn away from the word and and choose not to obey it. It's, It's like the religious leaders that were following Jesus. Every time he spoke, they were simply looking for ways to trip him up ways to be able to mock him, and they would would prefer that he would not only stop speaking, but that he were dead. They heard the word and chose to turn away from it. Some people have hard hearts. They're resistant to the gospel. I remember I was serving as a chaplain in a large suburban hospital a number of years ago, and, and as a part of this chaplain role that I had, I would visit a variety of people, some from out of town, that didn't have a pastor close enough to them. These were, these were uh, in a category Protestant from a long ways away. And so I, I met some of the most unique people as I would go in and visit people. And, and I, I met this one man, I went in to visit him, and he was dying of lung cancer. He was a very wealthy man. He had a collection of, of classic cars that filled a warehouse, and he would tell me stories about his cars. And, and I would begin then to share with him a bit about Jesus, and every time he would shut me down. One evening, I got a phone call from the hospital. They said, this man's wife is requesting that you come. It looks like he's dying. Could you come to the hospital tonight? So I jumped in my car drove over to the hospital, walked up to his room, and walked in. There were his adult children and his wife. It was clear he was in the last hours of his life. I pulled up a chair, and I sat down next to him. And I looked him right in the eyes, and I said, you and I both know that eternity is just moments away for you. Could I tell you about the one who offers you life eternal after this life? could I tell you about what Jesus has done for you? And he looked at me with steely eyes and he waved his hand like this and he said, no, please go away. And I walked out of the room in tears. A hardness that shut out the gospel. But hard hearts don't always stay hard. I have another friend, his name is is Bruce. Uh, Bruce showed up in my office one week and he had come to church with his wife and uh, he sat down in my office, he looked at me and he said, my wife loves it here, I think it's okay. 
He said, um, I believe in God. I don't know about this Jesus thing. I said, Bruce, could we get together? And I heard his story, and we met for lunch about once every two to three weeks for two years. And I watched this man's hard heart get soft and open up for the things of Jesus. But some people are like those with hard hearts. They turn away from the word. They choose not to believe it. The second type of soil are those with superficial hearts. Oh, those ones with superficial hearts who hear the word, who show some initial interest, and then they fade away when adversity comes. That's the crowds that followed Jesus. They were there in amazements. They would go, wow, it's amazing. And then it got a little difficult, and they walked away. John chapter 6, a great illustration of this. You may want to read it this week sometime. In John chapter 6, Jesus feeds 5,000 men plus women and children. It's an incredible miracle. A small boy, five barley loaves, two little fish. He feeds these thousands of people. The crowds get larger. And as John 6 goes on, Jesus' teaching becomes more difficult. And as as his teaching becomes more difficult and he begins to press on critical issues of faith, the people begin to walk away. They just abandon him. It's like, we came for the free lunch, and now you're telling us this. And they were gone. And you may have seen it in people you know. Folks who seem to have some excitement about Jesus, as long as life is going really well, as long as the teaching from the scripture isn't too difficult, I'm all in. But when life begins to go sideways and things get difficult, it's that's it, I'm done. And they walk away. Now you've seen others, when life gets hard, they walk toward Jesus. But some have superficial hearts. And they walk away. The third type we see, and if you go back into the, into the parable, you'll notice that some were sown in those rocky soil. That's the superficial heart. Remember, the dirt was very thin and there was, there was rock underneath, no water when, when the dry season came. The third type is like the seed we read about that is sown among the thorns in verses, in verses 18 and 19. Those sown among the thorns, it's, it's those with distracted hearts They hear the word, but the competing interests of life capture their attention. And it chokes out what God would want to do in their lives. In fact, Jesus said it's the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, the desires for other things that come in and choke the word. It's distracted hearts. And we live in a world with a lot of things to distract us, don't we? I mean, there are a ton of things. They're not all bad. There's some good things, but they distract us from what God might want us want to do in our lives. And how we must almost regularly say, no, we, we in a sense keep our focus on Jesus so that he might do that work of changing us 
met a lot of people in my life who could say all the right words, but whose attention was in all the wrong places. And God didn't change them. And there wasn't that fruit in their lives. Some of it's like the rich young ruler in Mark chapter 10 came to Jesus, said, hey, I'm, I'm ready to follow you. I'm doing all the right things. Jesus says, take your attention off those physical issues of wealth you have and turn to me. And he walked away. Some hearts are hard and they turn away. Some hearts are superficial and when the going gets hard, it's like their faith just shrivels up. And, and, and some hearts are distracted when other things come in and they just take the life away and no fruit is born. But some, it's the fourth soil. It's in verse 20 of chapter 4. These are what I call the hungry hearts. They hear the word. They accept it. They embrace it. They, they take the truth deep into their lives and they watch God just change them. It's hungry hearts that receive it deeply. You know, I mentioned John chapter 6, where the disciples were leaving because Jesus' teaching was getting hard. Those followers, not the 12 disciples, but the larger group of followers began to leave. And so Jesus turned to the 12, those those closest to him, and he looked at them and he said, so are you going to leave too? And Peter just instantly says, no, Lord, where else can we go? Only you have the words of eternal life. That's a hungry heart. I want to know you more. I want to walk closer to you. Now, I think there's a question that comes out of this passage, and it's an important question for you. It's a question you and I really must wrestle with, and that is Jesus seems to be asking us, which type of soil are you? Because honestly, the receptivity of people's hearts is what determines the fruitfulness in our lives. Like in that parable, all the types of soil had seeds sown on them. They all had the same amount of rain and sunshine, but what was produced was very different because it depended upon the receptivity of the soil. And what type of soil are you? Can I bring us to a little bit of maybe an, of an application of some things that could, could apply well to us as we think about what learnings come out of this for us? The first thing I want you to think about with me is simply this. Share broadly with those around you. Look at the parable of the sower in verses 3 to 8. What the, what the sower did, he just sowed, he, he was sowing seed liberally everywhere. Some of it drifted onto the path, some of it ended up in the shallow soil, some of it ended up in the thorny area, some of it ended up in the good crops. He just sowed it everywhere. And, and I think for us, as we think about telling people about Jesus and sharing the good news of the word, it's important. Share it broadly with people around you because you don't know the state of their hearts. Some who at one time seemed so hard, God has softened the soil in their heart a bit. Some who may have seemed really shallow in the past, God has been stretching them and they're more open than you thought. Some who have been distracted by other things, God is beginning to strip those away from them. You don't know. Share the word broadly. 
A second thing. Walk closely with Jesus to understand his perspective on things. I I want you to come back in the text with me to verse 10 because I'm afraid sometimes verse 10 is sort of like a verse we skip over between the parable and the interpretation. Verse 10 says, when he was alone, the 12 and the others around him asked him about the parables. Do you see what they did? They drew near to Jesus. They didn't understand. So when they didn't understand, they went to Jesus, and he revealed that to them. Remember, he said, the secrets of the kingdom are made known to you because you come to me, and I unpack them for you. And for us in life, I think we need to understand that God uses his spirits who takes the truth of his word and opens it to us in the context of redemptive relationships within the people of God is you're together with followers of Jesus and you're studying the scriptures and you're allowing the spirit to work among you and you're seeking Jesus' perspective, he shows those things to you. And he begins to open your eyes. Walk closely to understand his perspective. And then lastly, Follow humbly with a heart that hears and accepts, obeys and bears fruits. It's that sense of, if I don't understand, I'm going to turn to you, Jesus. If I'm not sure, I'm going to go to you. Because what I found in life, disobedience makes hearts hard. Obedience softens them. Follow humbly with a heart that hears and accepts, draws it deep into your life. But you know, for all of us, we're on a journey in the midst of this. And some of you may say, you know, I remember a time my heart was pretty hard and God softened it and wow, he's doing some great things in my life. And others of you would say, you know, there was a time where things got hard, but I, I turned to him and he grew some things in me. And some of you, you're saying, hey, I was distracted a lot and God's gripped my heart with his truth. Probably the time in my life and Becky's life where God did the most in this was back a number of years ago when our oldest son was diagnosed with osteosarcoma. We have four children, a daughter, twin boys, and a third son. The older of our twins, when he was 12 years old, started complaining about a sore knee, and we took him in eventually to see the doctor. They did an x-ray, and on a Friday morning, the first day of summer vacation for our children, I received a phone call from my doctor And she said, "Uh, Kevin, are you sitting down? Can I tell you, it's never a good thing if your doctor asks you if you're sitting down. I just want you to know that. And I said, no, but I can be. And I sat down and she said, Kevin, it's, it's cancer, what Brad has in his leg. It's osteosarcoma. You need to have him in my office in 30 minutes because we have to get him on crutches. He cannot walk on that leg. And I sat incredulous. I looked at her. I I just stared at the phone. And I said to her, he can't walk on it. He's an all-star little league player. He's been playing baseball for three months, and he's a catcher. Get him to my office. Friends, that led us on a year 
of 22 rounds of chemotherapy and three major surgeries. They amputated his left leg at the knee. He was hospitalized 26 times. We only knew of five other children at the Children's Hospital at Stanford University, one of the major children's centers in the, in the United States. Only five other children with this disease. And three of them died within six months after their chemo stopped. I, I remember being on my knees in front of our twin boys' bedroom door, crying out to God for my boy. And it was at that point that, that I, I, I remember sitting there, tears coursing down my cheeks, or, or I said, all right, Lord, whether Brad lives or dies, you're good, and I will follow you, and I am all in with you. And it's like the peace of Christ just flooded my heart. And it was hard. Watch my boy with one leg on crutches and no hair. But do you know, I got to lead a girl to, the, to Christ in the intensive care unit of a children's hospital at Stanford University because Brad was there. And, and, and he pulled me aside one day after this girl had come to Christ. She was discipled by a woman in our church and she eventually died. And, and Brad pulled me aside one day in the hospital and he looked at me and he said, hey, Dad, do, do you think one of the reasons that maybe God allowed me to have cancer is so that Angela could hear about Jesus? Because she's in heaven today. It changed us. And the choice to draw near to him and to not walk away the choice to say, I'm going to tell people about Jesus. I don't know what the state of their hearts are. I'm going to choose to not be distracted, but to go after him and to hold on to Jesus. And I watched it change my wife. I watched it change our children. Our son Brad, who survived, is married, has three, grown, has three children of his own. Not grown, they're little. Three children of his own today. He would tell you God changed him. His twin brother's a pastor of a, of a free church in Minnesota, and his twin brother would tell you one of the reasons he's a pastor today is because he watched a church love on his family in our darkest hour and saw God there. It's a journey. And so what type of soil are you? If your heart's been hard, God can soften it. If the cares and the struggles of life are, are seeming to just suck the life out of you, turn to him, believe me, he can fill it. If those things have been distracting to you, set them aside and walk toward Jesus because he wants to make your life count for eternity, bear fruit, be transformed, touch others. It's about listening and following. What type of soil are you? Father, now would you speak deeply to the hearts of these dear friends and I commend them to your care. Draw them near to you. In Jesus' name, amen.